Hey, it's Joe Trapel. This is Caught Inside. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Caught Inside. It's the fourth episode out of seven, and it's day seven of the Australian quarantine. Today, I am joined with Tatiana Weston-Webb. Tati, thank you so much for making time for us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I have so much time on my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you actually did uh, push the meeting a little bit later because you've got a nice uh, routine, right? Did you start the day with a morning workout? Actually, no. um, I totally thought that I had training today, but I forgot that today is Sunday in Brazil. So my trainers are off this morning and I actually didn't sleep at all last night. I don't know if I like didn't work out enough yesterday or what. So I kind of just like rolled over and I forgot that we had this. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) Just getting balanced in a new time zone and you're kind of in a groundhog's day type routine where you see the same walls, but within that finding a structure with the outside world. So with, with the training that you're doing, is it, is it kind of that, is it the Olympian training uh, that you're working on with Brazil? Yeah, so Team Brazil um, has amazing sort of teams that I work with and everything from trainers to nutritionists to gynecologists even. So uh, we have those resources on hand um, all year round 24-7, which is incredible. Um, And yeah, it's just been such an amazing experience getting so much support for my career. It's something that I've not really... I don't even think I've tapped into 100% yet. And it's helped me so much um, gain so much confidence and just a knowledge about how I perform and why I perform like that and things like that. So it's just been so much fun getting to like learn more and and have an amazing support system like that. Really incredible to be an Olympian, uh, which will be coming soon, but noticing all these resources that you have at your fingertips to be the best you can be to compete for gold. And that'll just translate into competing for a world title. So we're looking at you, Tati, where you qualified in 2015. This would be your sixth year on tour. And you're probably feeling a huge change in your training program with uh, all this that's happened as an Olympian athlete. That's great. Yeah, it's actually pretty incredible. Last year was my first year I ever got injured. And it was so scary because it was like right before the Olympics. And it was right when quarantine started. And I I was so nervous because I thought that I was going to have to go straight into the Olympics with an injury and stuff like that. And I just kind of kept quiet. And then Team Brazil came in like red hot on my tail and they were like, hey, we're here for you. Let's get your, you recovered 100%. And we're going to make you like right now you're at this level. We're going to make you like at this level with your body, at least so we can make you feel confident with everything that you do in surfing. And so basically last year was like my first year training almost every day of the week. And I felt so much stronger and so much more well-equipped and just confident. And it was something that was like a huge change in my career because Prior to that, everyone always was like, oh, yeah, she trained so much. But it, it's really just genetics. Like, it's my mom's legs and my dad's body. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, last year I definitely gained my muscle. <laughs> That's amazing. And you can't probably feel 
the response when you go surf on the training, being into effect, feeling more powerful. And did you have to find a balance with training? Of Is there such thing as training too hard and not feeling as good in the water or overtraining a bit? For sure. There's definitely a point where I feel that overtraining is in surfing, especially is something so easy to do. Like we need a really wide range of mobility and looseness to our it's our art form, you know, so we have to be very flexible and uh, just tapped into our body with every single ounce of, I don't know, juju there is, you know. So I for sure think that there were some days where I was like, okay, I definitely overtrained and like this can't happen during an event period or right before. But obviously my trainers are smart enough to know like, hey, look, she was nowhere near an event period. She's just we're just hammering her down now so that when the time comes, you know, she'll be ready. But yeah, I definitely feel like sometimes I'm like, hey, you guys, you know, that like my event's starting in like two weeks and they're like, yeah, yeah, we know we're totally aware. Like this is how it's it's going. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I just have to trust the process because um, along with that, it's not just training. They do tons of mobility work as well. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a really fine balance. So it's really nice. So it sounded like a bit of a, a roller coaster ride for yourself at the start of quarantine and, you know, that pandemic hitting the world. Weren't you, didn't you fly to New Zealand for the Challenger series, land, and then you had to basically get on a flight, return home. That's hard enough with all the travel time and the injury you mentioned. Did that happen like as soon as you got back home and then all of a sudden you had this reroute flight, returning home, the world's kind of changing, and then you're dealt with an injury. Yeah, it was really intense. Like, I saw all the coronavirus stuff happening before I left, and obviously I was skeptical about traveling, but I was like, wow, come on, like, it'll be fine, you know? And so I hopped on a plane to New Zealand, and we arrived, slept horizontal for one night, woke up the next morning, and we had the meeting and the meeting, the WSL meeting, and um, basically everything was canceled. And that day, Jesse and I looked at each other and we were like, there is no way we're going to stay here if it locks down. Because New Zealand is one of those countries that are so well uh, ran that we just knew that it was going to like shut down completely. So Jesse and I straight walked up to the Qantas counter and we bought our ticket home. Like I've never done that in my life. Like walked up to a counter and bought a ticket. And uh, yeah, so we bought our ticket and went straight home. So I flew for like something crazy, like 30 hours or something in two days. (laughs) Got back home. And just specifically, was it an MCL tear that you had on your knee? Yeah, it was my left knee MCL. Uh, It was the day after I got home. The waves at Pine Trees like were really bad. <laughs> Jesse was like froth to go surfing. And of course I was like, okay, fine, let's go. <laughs> and then I just couldn't catch waves to save my life in that session. I just remember like being so regretful because I like wasn't listening to myself. And like that's as an athlete, like you have to remember to like 110% always listen to how you're feeling. And if you don't want to surf, it's fine. Like, so exactly what happened. I was like forcing myself to surf. I like finally got a good wave and I was like, yay. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm just going to catch one more and go in. And then of course 
I like a backwash like hit the wave as soon as I like went to like pull in to like close out, which was the dumbest thing looking back. But then Jesse, I like went in and Jesse was like, Oh, ha, ha, I saw you fall. It was so funny. I was like, oh, no. Hey, I'm Little like hurt. <laughs> yeah, I told him I was, I'm like hurt. And he's all, yeah, it was hilarious. I was like, okay, well, you may not be taking me seriously, but I know I'm hurt. And then so <laughs> the day after we went to the hospital and uh, the knee doctor did the, he did one of those, um, what is it when you put the gel on and then it's like a little x-ray, but with like a machine. What is it called? Oh yeah. I forgot. Um, it's not you know a when they do x- the babies. Oh yeah. Ultrasound. Yeah. He did an ultrasound. Thank you. <laughs> on my knee. And, uh, yeah, he saw that my ligament was partially torn and he deemed it a grade two MCL tear. But I didn't need surgery, which was a huge plus. So Great. So how are you feeling now? 100%? 100%. I can. I have full range with my knee. I, I push really hard on my back leg. And um, yeah, I'm so stoked. Because it took a really long time. Like, I promise you, I, I, I probably felt pain up until, not like pain, but like, those little like twinges of it's still there uh, up until like January or February and it's fine or no, sorry, not January, probably January. And then it's totally gone now. Oh, that's great. And you think about a time to get hurt when you actually can get away from events and completely focus on the healing process. Uh, A lot happened last year that you can celebrate as well. You had the injury. That was the hardship, but you recovered through it. And then you found time to, well, have a very special moment in your life, getting married. Uh, congratulations. I think yeah, the world knows Jesse Mendez, a couple of big years on the top 34, Vance Triple Crown champion. Uh, bring us to that moment. And Did Jesse surprise you, drop a knee uh, somewhere beautiful in Kauai and, and say we're doing this now? How'd it go? <laughs> um, yeah, in February, right before we left, actually, right before he left to Australia because he was going to compete in the QSs and I wasn't. He and my brother and his girlfriend and my best friend, we all went to Pulahali, actually, where my parents got married. And um, yeah, there was something in the air, I could tell. <laughs> but he he was just, he was spectacular. He is just the best person in the world, but it was the cutest thing ever. Um, he, yeah, he got down on one knee and he was super nervous, like you could tell. And I was just laughing. We just laughed. Like he he said, may you marry me? And we just started laughing. (laughs) And I was like, sure. (laughs) Of course. What took you so long? You know, (laughs) it was funny. So beautiful. Where did you guys get married? Um, Well, the Princeville Hotel right now is under renovation and it's a beach I grew up going to my whole life because my dad's worked at the Princeville Hotel his whole life and he actually knew the security guard um, there and so he asked the security guard if we could use the beach and so my family spent like all day like hanging up flowers on the trees and um, candles and like they made an arch which was like the most beautiful like it was just so like uh, intimate and special because they really did it with all their hearts, you know? And, um, yeah, I showed up and I was in just like a white romper and a hakule and, 
um, Jesse literally had like just a random dress shirt and I asked my pastor to marry us and he was like, I'd be honored. So yeah, it was really special. And what was normally like a really expensive venue ended up just being like cheap and free <laughs> and just my family and I, which was so beautiful. Oh, that sounds so special. Thanks for sharing that beautiful memory with us. Uh, you've already mentioned your family so much. Uh, they're incredible. I love your family. Seeing uh, your dad on the road, your mom on the road, seeing her competitive side as a former competitor and a established bodyboarder, and then see just dad just loving how you're succeeding on, on such a top level. And then you add in your brother, Troy, which uh, is just what an incredible upbringing, having great people like that in your life. Uh, first, I want to start with with your last name, if you don't mind, Weston Webb. It's pretty unique. Uh, it does it. Uh, can you explain your last name? Because it's not one you hear every day. Yeah, Weston Webb is an English name, actually, and they, I think, in like the fifties or maybe even the thirties, they they joined the two names, Weston and Webb, um, and they were like really, really um, important people in textiles back in the day. And so when they put those two names together, they, they just loved the sound of it and, um, they kept it. Yeah. So it, and my dad obviously got it from his side of the family and we kept it, but now <laughs> I'm not a Weston Webb anymore. Well, actually I kept the name, but I'm, <laughs> my name is super long. It's Tatiana Guimarães Weston Webb dos Santos now. So Jesse's uh, not actually a Mendez. <laughs> Oh, really? There's more to the story. <laughs> yeah, Jesse is not Mendez. Everyone thinks he's Mendez, but he's actually Jesse Mendez dos Santos. Oh, there we go. There's more to yeah. that. Is is Mendez a stage name? Kind of like an actor picks their name? or? Yeah, I think that when he, they just didn't really know how to like sign up for events back in the day, he tells me his mom just put Jesse Mendez. And then ever since then, everyone called him Jesse Mendez. So he just stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it adds to your story because, you know, your dad from England and your mom from Brazil and then raised on this beautiful island of Kauai. That's 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 really different, really unique, which creates this amazing human that you are. So how many citizenships do you have globally? I only have two. I have American and Brazilian. Um, I don't even think it's legal to have three passports. I was going to say, but- OK. I don't, I, I totally would if I could. <laughs> <laughs> Just collect it. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. Actually, I think my dad just, he like regrets not trying to get his English passport, like, cause he kind of just gave it up. And, uh, I think that he really regret, regrets not trying to get it back and he might do it in the near future, but I don't know. We'll see about that. <laughs> and your parents met each other and, and how'd they end up in, in Hawaii? Um, my dad was a surf bum and he loved surfing and he grew up in Florida. And then at the age of like 26, I think he just like, or 25 or something, he packed up his bags and he just bought a one-way ticket to Kauai and he just was having the best time living there with his best friend, Brad, which is my uncle Brad. And, um, then my mom was a professional bodyboarder and she was competing on the North shore of Oahu. And then more my had or I don't know if it was Mormai or Bad Boy. She was sponsored by the two of them, but I don't know if you remember the company Bad Boy. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> so was I legit. Was I used to draw that shoot. on my notebooks all the time, that face with the arm. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. 
And so I think she um, was going for a shoot. And then my dad said he was surfing at Pole Holly, which is where they met. And that he saw a group of girls walking down the beach and he let his board drift to the shore. And he went up and was like, hey, lady. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just telling you. I'm like, my dad's such a stud. Um, and... <laughs> And then my mom, like, took an interest, obviously. And then he was like, do you guys want to hang out later? And they were like, sure. And there was, like, three of them. And then so he told them his number. And then each one remembered three numbers. And somehow my mom remembered. And she called him later that evening. And they hung out. And three months later, they got married and moved to Kauai. (laughs) That's all time. What a beautiful story. And to to be able to years later have that moment with yourself and and Jesse on the same beach and uh, looking at your dad. I know you posted a a happy birthday shout out uh, to your pops the other day, and it was a bungee jump that you guys did together. That looked absolutely frightening. But then I think a lot of comments were like, oh, wait, now we get this. Now we know why you're you're so fearless. It feels like you're destined to charge in everything that you do. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, my dad, he made it a point to always take us and him and my mom made it a point to always take us on adventures like ever since we were young. Like I, I remember just never being like in one place, we would always travel. We would always go to Brazil or go to the snow and snowboard or go to Disneyland or Florida. You know, we would just go everywhere all the time. Not even know, like looking back now, I'm like, wow, how could they afford that? But it was what was important to them was making and creating memories and doing just plenty of fun stuff with their family. And, and I definitely hope to be a parent like they were to my kids one day. So cool. Uh, the, the waves around where you grew up are, are really special and have been setting up uh, surfers for, for decades and decades on becoming world class. Uh, I remember a sit down you had with Jesse Miley Dyer and some of the women on tour. You talked about sometimes how intense this lineup can be. And you have this, you paddle out and you're going, hey, you have to charge. You don't have a, a choice in this matter. It's not like you're surfing a friendly beach break somewhere in the world. The waves are serious, they're of consequence, and you're paddling on a lineup going, okay, today's another big day where I've got to prove myself. <laughs> what was that like growing up in sometimes some pretty intense days? Yeah, growing up on the island of Kauai was such a blessing because we have so many amazing type of waves that really like breed professional surfers. And um, gosh, just so much fun there, but uh yeah it's like intense every single time you paddle out to a a break that's it's a wave of consequence every single person knows who you are in the lineup so there's no way that like when your turn comes around you're gonna be like we can go (laughs) it's always (laughs) like okay head down like i'm going you know and uh if you don't go people are gonna be like oh you blew it you know so it's just it's that sort of like mentality where every single person knows you and you just got to, you just got to do it. (laughs) And not to mention my brother was usually always there giving me so much crap if I didn't go. (laughs) So yeah, he definitely pushed me harder than every, everyone else to surf bigger waves. And he still does. He, he calls me on days that is like 15 foot and he's like, what are you doing? 
how come you're not surfing? <laughs> you need to get a 7 or like a 10 or whatever. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I do high performance surfing. And he's like, bullcrap. <laughs> and that's so, what yeah. a, a brother's for, right? Troy is amazing and he's an incredible surfer. And so I guess now that you look at how much he pushed you, uh, how did that benefit you as, as a pro surfer, having a brother like Troy? Oh, it benefited me in every single humanly way possible. Like he, I I promise you, if it wasn't for my brother surfing, I wouldn't be a professional surfer. Like I copied everything he did. And the moment he started surfing, which he was 10 and I was eight, I was like, okay, I'm coming. And he was like, oh my God, my sister. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just followed all of his footsteps and I would get so upset when I like couldn't go surfing with him and obviously he wanted to get rid of his little sister like all day every day so um yeah but then I think when he realized when I started winning events uh, at a younger age like the NSSAs and stuff I think that's when he really like started taking like wow like my sister's good I'm gonna make her even better by like encouraging her to do what I believe she can do and so I just remember there was like a point where he was like okay talk to you like today you're coming with us, you know, you know, it would be like more of like a inauguration to the boys crew or whatever. And yeah, he would just be so encouraging and like a wave would come and he'd tell me to go. He would never push me ever, ever push me. I would never get any help. He would just tell me to go like head down, go. <laughs> so wow, pretty amazing. Yeah. It, it leads us to a one of your fans' questions that came in for you this morning. If I can find my notes here. Oh, there it is. We've got a question for you coming from Chris Sweetman from Avalon on the northern beaches of Sydney. Thanks for the question, Chris. And it just goes right to talk to you, your heaviest moments you've had in the water because being around that environment, he wants to know what's like the heaviest moment you've had in the ocean and leading into maybe a good wipeout story that you have. Shoots, there's there's a few. Um, I remember specifically one day that I got a two-wave hold down and it was like a small day and I was like so rattled. Like I just went straight in and I was like, oh, that was my first two-wave hold down. Like I was tripping and nothing really happened after that. Like it was just, that was the first two-wave hold down I had and it was like really scary. And I was like, wow, what if this happens like more often, you know, like sketchy, you know? And, uh, I just remember like gasping for air when I came up and just being so scared, but that was one. And then the other one I think was, um, and was that one at, at home on, on Kauai? That was at home on Kauai at a secret wave. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, we'll keep it quiet. I guess the other one was, I was like surfing Chopu on a smaller day and, Everyone knows that smaller days at Chiopu could be more dangerous because there's less water on the reef. And it was my turn. Uh, I had been waiting for like, you know, the, you know, it was my turn. <laughs> Anyways. And I just remember like thinking, cause there was like a few guys like Kamale and a few quiet boys out. And I just remember like, okay, can't like mess up, you know? And I dropped in and I just ate crap of course. And I went straight to the bottom. I hit my head 
on the reef. Like I got dragged on my entire back, like down the reef. And I remember like popping up and being like, oh my God, like, I think I'm going to have to get stitches or something. And I, and I ran back to the boat or ran, I paddled back to the boat and I asked my filmer, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, do I have like a gnarly cut on my head? And like, thankfully he was like, no, you only just have scratches. And then he looked down and he was like, but are you okay? And I was like, well, yeah, like if my head's okay, I'm okay. But then like my entire wetsuit was like ripped up. And I was like, holy crap, could you imagine if I didn't have a wetsuit on? And so that really scared me. And I was super bummed because I was like, it was like fresh in the trip and I didn't want to be like scared of going back out, you know? So I really kind of like just sat there for a moment on the boat and swallowed, um, it all down and I was like put my tarred wetsuit back on I mean I just gotta catch one more wave (laughs) and then so I paddled back out and I got a good wave and yeah it made everything worthwhile but that really scared me like hitting my head on the reef is the the noises you hear like the reef crunching under your head is pretty freaking scary but it wasn't bad at all thank god Oh, that's so crazy. What a scary moment. And then being able to go, okay, I know I have to get back on the horse, so to speak, and I've got to turn this around to turn this into a great trip. Were you able to do that? Yeah. So the rest of the trip, we actually were so surprised, but it was two years ago for the Tahiti contest when the waves were just pumping. And um, I don't even know, like, I guess the boys were like, Tati, you're so lucky. Like Tahiti's never like this. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're just like, it's usually raining and like onshore every single day. And like, <laughs> you're here. And of course, like it was like four, four to five foot every single day, like perfect glassy every single day. And I was just like, this is like the best trip ever because I was like the only girl there. And obviously the boys were trying to rest up for the event. And so like, I would just, me and Vitor, Jesse's brother would just be like all day, every day in the water, like catching waves kind of like by ourselves. And it was awesome. It was one of the best trips of my life for sure. I remember you being there for that trip and getting great waves throughout the waiting period before the contest started, after you got so many great reps in. And then when you see the event pop up on the calendar, coming back to the women's tour, you go, oh my gosh, this is all going in motion where you get, you have that experience and even the wipeouts and recovering from that to now be able to compete for a potential event title on a very important year. How great is that? Yeah, it's pretty incredible that women's surfing has come this far and that the WSL is supporting women's surfing, um, immensely and for me that just means so much like it it, it's so exciting and I don't know like when the time comes I'm probably going to be still in disbelief like I already am in disbelief but there's a part of me that gets like super excited when I'm competing at a wave that I've always wanted to compete at for example like pipeline I just was so excited I like couldn't even compete like I just (laughs) forgot every part of like what I what I'm supposed to do in a heat and like how I'm supposed to surf so there's that little aspect for me which I get scared of or nervous about I guess because there's ways when I get so excited to surf them that sometimes all my like thought process and 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 readiness for a heat goes out the window because I just am so excited. So that part, I'm like, okay, harness your 
competitive side. Don't be like a little grommet and just focus. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I'm glad you brought that up, Tati, because I think what happened too when everything was switching from Honolulu Bay to Pipeline, everyone just saw your name in the draw and it just blew up as this huge name. You're going to pipe, you love barrels and it's over a shallow reef. I think I'm sure you had everyone coming up to you going, wow, okay, cool. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. And all of a sudden you talked about wanting one so bad after your first heat that you were going on everything and pulling into closeouts. Like you were just going, this is what I want. And you just couldn't grasp it fast enough. And was it the energy that you get when people start telling you too much? Like you're going to win. You've got this. Did Does that sometimes overhype the competitive engine in your brain where you can't like get it fast enough? Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. Like I was having like super great free surfs actually at pipe that whole week. I was so like proud of myself at how well I had done. And, and it was almost like this unspoken thing where I was like the one that was doing really well out of all the girls in the free surfs. And <laughs> yeah, it sucked because then everyone was like, you're going to win exactly what you said, you know? And, and then it's so hard as a human being to control those emotions and be like, no, I just got to be level headed. You know, it's not like that. You're like, woo, ego, like, here we go. <laughs> I don't even know. Like uh, for me, I was so excited. It was almost like that that reassurance every time like kind of tipped me over the edge where it just all spilled out. And I just, so I just bombed my heats. I surfed so poorly, like compared to how I was surfing in the free surfs. And yeah, it really killed me on the inside because I knew I was one of the surfers that could potentially get a better barrel out there. And I just, yeah, it totally went a 180. I did so terrible. And I knew that that wasn't the performance I wanted to have. And I actually openly for the first time expressively put myself out there and said like, Hey, you guys like this sucked. It wasn't me. I had so much expectation for myself. And that, that alone is like when you put expectation on yourself as a competitor, it kind of just like gives you sort of like a standard to get to. And that always kind of kills you, I guess, in the end. Not always. It could go the other way. But for me, like, I know that that's not the way that I compete well. So I just couldn't even believe that I let myself mentally get to that point because I had been working so hard mentally to control those emotions and put myself back in, in, in the humble position. And it just didn't even work. It did not work. <laughs> I just have to remind you quickly that you're number three in the world right now. So still, yeah, still a great start to the year. And I've always loved how you've learned from these moments in your career. It directly reminded me back to cloud break the year that you lost out really early, got a 13th. And at that time too, cause it's crazy how one wave just changes everything with reputation, with hype, with expectations. You had that foam ball ride on the GoPro challenge. And then it was like, oh, Tati, here we go. And I think you were feeling like cloud breaks a wave you wanted to win on. And you talked about that moment being so devastating, maybe your hardest loss in that point of your career, but then you won the US Open. The very next event, you went from this 
terrible feeling and turned it into one of the greatest moments of your career. And uh, that learning curve for you feels like it's a really short period of time where you can get back on your feet and turn in a huge result. Yeah, you know, it's crazy because surfing is so mental. Like people have no idea. Obviously, like you rely on mother nature to give you the waves and stuff, but like there's some sort of feeling and I know that you're a surfer and you understand, but when you're mentally in the right headspace, everything just works for you. And it just kind of, it's like a sync, like you're in sync with the ocean, with your board, with your mind, you're in sync with everything that's happening where you don't even have to think. And when, when you experience a sort of devastating moment, like I did at Pipe or like I did at Fiji, it's, you reflect and you're like, well, what did I do to make myself, like you felt so good. And what did I do to make myself just get off kilter and get unsynced, you know, like there's a synchronization that has to happen when you're competing. And I think that for me, I do a really good job at reflecting, um, on my, on my mistakes. And I'm such a hard head that when I, when it comes to the next event, I'm like, Nope, I'm not making that mistake again, you know? So, but it's hard because there's certain things you learn every single event and then sometimes you forget them and then you have to relearn them, you know? So just, it's just a part of this surfing heat culture, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and just being a uh, just in tune with your mind as you are the physical act of, of riding away. Uh, do, do you meditate? Uh, I do. Yeah. And so that's Actually, a common practice to keep a quiet mind. What's the, what's the process of your meditation routine? Sometimes I meditate um, by myself, just sitting down and just clearing my mind. Um, in Oahu, I actually, for the first time ever before Pipeline, I did a float tank. Actually, it wasn't before Pipe. Um, it was before Honolulu. I did a float tank and um, sensory deprivation float tank. And you're just kind of s floating there alone with your thoughts. And it's like the coolest form of meditation you can ever do. Like if you've never done it, you have to, it's so cool. It's like you're floating. I want to try that. So what's the feeling? Can you describe it? It's really like you're weightless and you're floating in a tank that literally is sensory deprivation. You could have music on if you wanted to. I opted for no music and, um, you kind of just sit there with your thoughts and, yeah, it's so cool. Like it's really hard to describe because you encounter some sort of, um, I guess a personal meditation or a personal, uh, you kind of acknowledge these inner things within you that you've never really like outwardly acknowledged. And I think, um, for me, that made a huge difference. Like before Honolulu, I just remember like telling myself like, okay, you're definitely worthy of another win. Like you've worked so hard you've had the hardest year of your life and you've worked hard to like come back from it and you're surfing the best you ever surfed. Like it's, you're worthy of it. And like, you need to let yourself understand that that's okay. And that's something that is a possibility. And, um, I think for a long time, I haven't like encountered myself saying like, I'm worthy of like the position that I'm in. And, um, yeah, that just made all the difference. Like I remember being so confident within myself and telling myself um, that like you've worked hard and, and you, you deserve all your accomplishments, you know? So um, 
as an athlete that's constantly striving to be a better person or a better athlete every single day, we're really hard on ourselves. You know, that's something that's so common. Like we are like mean to ourselves almost, you know, like telling us we're not good enough every day because then we work harder and then that way we become better, you know, but sometimes as an athlete, like, um, affirmations and just positive, positive affirmations and, and telling yourself these things like you're worthy and that you're, you're ready for this. It's so important. And I forgot that, you know, I totally forgot that as an athlete, especially because last year we went all year competing, uh, without competing. So yeah, it was really, it was really, a. It, it was a beautiful moment for me at least, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to motivate yourself and to push yourself to a point, like you said, but also reward yourself and realize you are here because you absolutely deserve it uh, in competing for a world title race. That's a beautiful look into the headspace, which brings me to another one of your fans questions. Stefan Van Boxtel from Cape Willemai, Phillip Island, Victoria works with a lot of young surfers, Tati, and he calls his crew that he works with. They can, the younger ones, especially they're really hyped up surfers, scatter minded, you know, like, uh, young kids. Uh, can you, can you relate with that surf characteristic he's describing there? For sure. And that is one thing too, that surfing is so unique because if you're not surfing and living in that exact moment, you almost forget what's going on and you're kind of just like in awe of like everything that's happening and in this sort of euphoria state where it's like if you're in the moment and you're concentrating on every single moment that's happening before you, that's when everything kind of clicks and that's when you you just don't even need to think because you're so in flow and rhythm because you're every little minute thing that's happening, you have a perfect reaction for and you have a perfect just sort of feeling towards it. And that's, that's something that I would tell my younger self is Tati, don't forget to live in the moment. Every single wave is different and you need to react differently for every wave. And if you're not in the moment, what are you going to do? You're just going to be And with that approach you're (laughs) describing right now, the last part of his question is, uh, so how do you channel a good mindset in quarantine when you can't surf, you know, knowing that you're so used to this routine of surfing, thinking about waves, preparing, how do you embrace this time with a professional mindset and what are the things you're doing to release energy in other ways? So when you did mention before at the start of this, you said, Oh, you have a routine going. And I kind of said today I didn't, but every single day I'm doing the same thing pretty much, which is waking up at seven, eating breakfast, training for an hour, and then usually rolling out for another 30 minutes. And then I usually have a moment before lunchtime where I usually read my book or kind of just cruise a little bit or do something productive. And then I have my lunch and then I go into my second half of the day and kind of just, I I give myself, um, you know, I give myself a lot of leeway because it's quarantine. It's not easy. And so I don't want to like hold myself to a rigorous routine. But at the same time, when I'm in that routine, it just goes by quickly. So then I just do my second workout and then I have like a hour long yoga. And then I kind of start making dinner and watching a movie and then I head to bed. So it's it's really like you have to give yourself uh, credit because it's not easy to stay in an easy in a good mindset 
during quarantine, but I feel like I'm doing really well, <laughs> which I'm so Yeah, definitely. For. I think we've caught up with a lot of people who maybe have their families with them through this process and they've got a lot of distractions in that way. Uh, but for you yourself, are you, you're completely by yourself in quarantine? Yeah, I'm completely by myself and it's a lot of personal thoughts, but that's okay. Um, I feel like, I feel like I'm actually surprising myself and doing pretty dang awesome. So I'm proud of myself so far. (laughs) I'm there with you. It's, it's a crazy process. Just having these walls and every day you're inside just going, okay, I think, uh, what day is it again? You know, (laughs) just like trying to figure it out, you know? I try to give myself more credit too, because like, they were like, okay, you guys on the first day, they were like, it's day zero. And I was like, well, I'm going to say it's like day one of 15. So that way you feel like you're closer, you know, <laughs> bigger numbers. <laughs> it's funny how big of a blow that was for all of us when it was like, yeah. no, it's day zero. I think everyone's reaction was like, that's just not fair. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And my, my, uh, filmer Greg, he was like, no, give yourself credit. Today is day one, tomorrow's day two, you know, like, and then we just had that mindset. So we're doing a 15 day quarantine and counting all the days. Oh, that's great. (laughs) You mentioned Greg Browning. What an incredible human being he is. Uh, when did you meet Greg? How long have you known him? Well, I met Greg at the start of my body glove career. Um, when I got to body glove, I think I was 17 and I met him the first time I walked into the office and, um, yeah, ever since then we've been really tight, but obviously over the years spending a lot more time with him and like finding out who he was and like how much of an influential surfer he was and how he hung out with all of the greats of the momentum generation, uh, was really cool for me. And then, um, last year when I was transitioning, um, from Leandro Dora to, potentially a new coach. Um, we were already on the body glove trip and he's just such a like wise person. And he's just kind of always has like the best thing to say in the moment. And so like, I just remember being like, okay, like I'm going to ask him like if he wants to go with me, you know, like, because he's just such a great human. Like he's so positive. He does everything for me if I ask. And he's just like an amazing reassuring person so I asked him and he was like I'm in no doubt and so yeah and then we actually both spoke about like the actual coaching side of things and then um I asked Ross if he wanted to coach me and then he was like let me think about it because you're already kind of with Greg and I just don't really want to like be you know in the middle of things and then so we concluded that Ross is all technical and Greg is sort of like my person on the road with with filming and stuff and just yeah he's he's awesome. We always talk about support crews and the camp. You're diving into your camp that makes it really special. Uh, Greg Browning, all-star surfer, movie maker, drive-through series and his close relationship with Ross Williams as well now coming on as a, as a full-time coach. I mean, now you look at Ross in his coaching journey as well. And I think he was really famous for first being the coach with John, John Florence, uh, through some big world title years. And now when I see you guys down at the beach, uh, by, by on the North shore, there's like a full camp. Now there's, there's quite a few of you that get to do workouts together. Who who's in 
the the Ross Williams camp? Yeah, so the Ross camp is um, Mahina, Maeda, Betty Lusakura, um, Finn McGill, Luke Swanson, and that's it. And I think that's it. And then obviously John, but John's never a part of the camps. He's he's John, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> he gets different treatment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we usually do those when I'm on the North Shore. We usually do those camps, and it's so fun. I love I love those days because it really just makes us better surfers, and we do heat strategy and um, whatever Ross comes up with at the moment that will make us better surfers. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, he has an amazing crew of people right now. And um, I think that everyone is really starting to learn what an amazing coach he is outside of world title contenders. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's just he's so, so intelligent. It's crazy. Like I get baffled every time I have like a conversation with him because I'm like, dang, like <laughs> I need to like level up my intelligence. <laughs> In, in the time that you've worked with him, have you noticed a, a big change in just even just putting a wave together or what's the biggest difference you're feeling uh, from the feedback you get from Ross? Oh yeah, completely. I think that my surfing changed 110%. I think that he really, um, he really pointed out obvious things that I could have done in the past that sometimes I just wouldn't acknowledge because I was like over it or something, you know, he would be like, okay, well, like, remember, like, you're here to win. This is a game like you're here to win the game. And just like that fact alone, it just baffles me every time because it's true. Like, it's a game. You're there to win and you do whatever you can to win in in the game, you know, and he points out the really obvious things, but you're just like mind blown every single time he points it out. And you're, yeah, it's just crazy. But I definitely have changed my serving, I think, a lot with Ross and um, yeah, I changed it for the better. <laughs> I think so. So awesome. Tati, loving the conversation. You're making my quarantine day incredible. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Tati and Caught Inside right after this. And we're back. Tati. But I could also say Tachi, right? Is that the, the more Portuguese pronunciation when you're speaking Portuguese? Yeah, uh, it's like Tatiana. <laughs> yeah, nice. some people say Tachi. <laughs> <laughs> that's great we have uh, covered a lot of stuff mentally coaching where you're at now in quarantine and it's going to be great to see i can't wait to see you compete once again i got up to i have a couple heats in my mind that always stick out to me that were defining moments in your career but there was one moment in a bells final a couple years ago where it was you against stephanie gilmore 2018 where you had, that was such an incredible year for you. And this is the the year that Mick Fanning's retiring. The beach was packed with surf fans. The energy was electric. Waves were super fun. And it came down to one last wave. You didn't have priority. You got a wave. You needed a 6.8. And the decision was made after the horn where you're standing on that famous staircase right next to well, your now husband, uh, Jesse Mendez, to await the result. And one judge gave it to you. The score came just under, and you ended up getting a second place, The making the final with Steph. That moment for you when you came in, having it that close, uh, how did you react to the, the result? 
with coming that close to winning the bell in front of a crowd like that on such an important day in pro surfing history? Um, I was really proud of myself uh, for doing so well under priority. And it's so hard because if I compare myself to Steph, um, we're just completely opposite. Like, and she is like a smooth, regular footer that literally puts everything together like picture perfect. And I'm like the opposite. I'm a goofy footer. I'm sometimes like out of control, which Ross and I have been working on a lot. And I am spontaneous, I feel like. And um, I just remember being like, so like, I believed that I was going to get the score. And I was so proud of myself because it was exciting, you know, like, um, but obviously it's a sense, it's like a devastation moment where you're just like, what? (laughs) And uh, I don't know, it's hard to say because there's so many times in my career where I've gotten second place that I'm just at this point, I'm like fed up with second places. (laughs) Um, I've gotten one first and I think like five seconds or something like that. And uh, yeah, so I've been like telling myself that it's it's time to get a first and that you've worked hard enough and that you've experienced too many seconds. <laughs> so, but yeah, that moment was really special. And uh, being on stage, I think with Mick when he was retiring was like the most insane moment. I just remember being like, like, okay, when I first got on tour, I was so nervous. And like, I paddled out to step for the first day ever, like free surfing. And Mick was out. And at that point, I'm like, I'm like a little girl. Like, he doesn't know who I am. And then he paddles straight up to me. Hey, Tatiana, how are you? And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know my name. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, I was like, whoa, he's like the coolest guy ever, you know? So, like, being at that point and then on the stage with him when he was retiring and with an amazing surfer like Italo and Steph by my side, I was just so incredibly... um, just happy living in that moment and being a part of it was something so special for me that I'll never forget my career. I actually got my jersey signed by Mick, Steph, and Italo, and I have it in my room. Um, I should probably frame it. (laughs) Oh, definitely frame that thing right away. (laughs) Yeah. It was a beautiful day. Oh, that's that's really special because that moment really stood out to me as well. And as such a a deserving result that I think in my mind could have gone either way in that intense moment and to share it with Steph and along with Mick and Italo on such a great day that stood out for me as well. You mentioned a lot of finals that you finished second. There was one that was monumental too, because it was run on the opening day of the men's competition over in Fiji at cloud break with yourself and Courtney Conlog in like wild, challenging, dangerous conditions. And I think the global perspective of seeing your matchup with Courtney, we're like, well, if there's any two surfers on tour that are going to go for this and put on a show, it's going to be yourself and Courtney. That final was crazy to watch and took a lot of commitment on both your side and Courtney's side. Yeah, I remember that morning, like, showing up to the lineup and just, like, it was so morning sick. Like, we were, like we probably saw, like, maybe two rideable waves that the boys caught in, in the free surf. And we were like, don't you want to, like, wait till later? And Kieran was like, nope, you guys are running. 
<laughs> so we were like, okay. So then we couldn't really say much because we waited like I think like five days or something to run in that in that on that day because we all saw the swell coming from a, a long ways out. So um I just remember being uh, so head like strong headed just thinking like I'm not gonna go for turns I'm gonna try to get a barrel and like looking back on it like I just look at my immature self (laughs) I'm like oh gosh (laughs) like of course I was like I'm gonna get a barrel when there was like two barrels probably on offer (laughs) and um Courtney was the smarter one of course and she went for turns and she won with turns because there was one wave I think that I could have gotten barreled on and at the bottom of the wave I like slipped off my deck and then it was like a really good barrel and I missed it and I just remember being so devastated because I was like I look back and I'm like what why am I so (laughs) hard-headed like you know I need to like train change up my strategy it's like when when Ross tells me like hey it's a game like you gotta win the game like that's something that I never really had as like a younger competitor, you know? And I still think that I, and I I still think that I waver in those moments because I get so excited. (laughs) And sometimes when you're excited, like a normal thought process just flies out the window. (laughs) It's, it's a cool process mentally too. When you know, you're like, this is my strength. There's big barrels. I'm ready to show it to the world. And then when you just it's almost like getting a golden egg and squeezing it too tight and it breaks in your hand. Cause you're like, no, that's what I wanted to do. But I'm one moment where you actually turned in a brilliant performance. And I want more insight on this decision. It was in your rookie year in France, the waves were pumping. And the way the story got to us was there was actually a decision of, of maybe not running at that time. And I heard you were very vocal going, are you kidding me? It's pumping. We're out there. And then you got a perfect 10 made the final rookie on tour. Was that exactly how that story really went? And how rewarding was that to ultimately get that 10 point ride? Okay. I would say it's a bit more brutal, but I really can't go into detail that much. (laughs) Girls are pretty cruel sometimes. And I was like a rookie on tour. So I think I wasn't really like accepted at that point, but I just, at, at the moment, like I, we had been waiting all day to compete and the waves were pumping and you just saw like boys getting like tens like all day long getting barreled and I just wanted nothing more than to go out and try to surf <laughs> heat, you know and I remember like some of the girls were like oh it's too big like it's too scary blah 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 and I was just like oh my gosh like are you serious right now like <laughs> I couldn't believe it and um And then I remember looking around when they were going to make the decision and like looking around and like none of the girls told me that they were having a meeting. And I remember like storming up in the judge's tower and being like, hey, like, how come you guys didn't tell me, you know, no one said anything. And then next thing I was like, I really think, oh God, I'm going to get so much ridicule for this. But I was like, I really think you guys are unprofessional for not wanting to surf out there (laughs) thinking looking back I'm like gosh I was like so immature and like so just like hard-headed like I call it passion (laughs) you you knew you had a skill set to show the world and you you weren't gonna let that day go by 
Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I would, I would call it immaturity for now. <laughs> but um, I'm really glad because I'm not like that anymore. I'm, I'm a lot more level-headed and, and con- in control of my emotions, which I'm very proud of because I've come a long way. But anyways, You're worrying me, Tati, because if you didn't do that, we wouldn't have seen that 10. So I, I think you need to keep <laughs> some of that in you because that was obviously a groundbreaking day. That was really awesome that you got to show the world that you were able to pack that big tube, get a 10, and that was awesome. Thank you. Do you want to pause it because of the phone? Um, yeah, Is we get these me? phone calls throughout the day. I've realized if you miss it, they'll call you back. So we've got oh, okay. the nurse checking up on us. They see how you're okay. doing. It's really, Have you been getting those calls as well? Yes, yes. Yeah. Every day I'm like, yep, I'm good. <laughs> and then the knock on the door. You're like, what could this be? How good is this? You know? <laughs> I know. It's always a surprise. You never know what you're going to get. But, uh, so great. But yeah, well, I think I've... I, sorry, I would like to say that I think nowadays I don't really necessarily have to be as passionate because I think the woman surfing has come a long way. And I think if we were presented that opportunity like today, everyone would say like, let's surf. So I think that's what, what's really special about how far women's surfing has come in a few short years. And, uh, yeah, just to be part of this generation is, is I'm very, I'm very proud. Well, I think you were kind of ahead of your time and really got to push the tour in such a great way and to make an impact like that as a rookie and to have, I felt like the locker room intimidated by how brave you were at such a young age that was great that you pushed everyone in waves of consequence. And I know uh, some ladies on Kauai, like, you know, KK, Rochelle Ballard and the crew, they're probably so proud of you uh, to see what you've done, especially in hollow conditions. Do, do you hear from legends like that when you're back home or do you hear their support for you when you're on the road? Yeah, actually. Um, I mean, I spoke to Kiala recently this winter and it was after the Moana incident and she just was saying like, look, I'm really supportive of you. Like you've done so well and, um, everyone makes mistakes and don't let that get to you because, you know, like you're doing really good. And she just kind of was like super reassuring to me. And yeah, when, when she told me that like she had a run in with her as well, I don't know. It was just like really reassuring to hear from Kiala because she's one of the greats at pipe. And, um, then Rochelle, the same thing. I was at home with Rochelle and she was like, how are you? You know, like, just keep your head up. <laughs> I was like, thanks. Oh gosh. <laughs> but she, Rochelle and KK both told me like, don't worry, you're doing so well. Like, we're so proud of how far you come and like your charger and, um, you know, just being super kind and reassuring. And like, I didn't ask them for that. They just said it out of their kindness of their heart. And for me to like, hear that from two greats that I've looked up to my entire life was just amazing. So, um, yeah, but I surf with Rochelle at home all the time in really good waves and she's still like charges. Like it's incredible. I'm just like, what the heck? She's incredible. And KK still charges so hard too. Like she's going on huge waves at Jaws and I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) She's, she's crazy. Uh, that's amazing that you're in touch with them. And I think they reached out at such a, an important moment for you as well. Uh, you don't have to go further on the incident at pipe with Moana if you don't want to, but I know that was, uh, I saw you soon after that in the water as well. And I know you, you said it was a challenging time, but you, you dig deep and you were able to recover from that moment, uh, from that drop in moment. Uh, 
any advice for people who go through processes like that? And how are you feeling today um, after that whole thing went down? Yeah, it definitely, that was a really hard moment for me in my career, especially because it was like right after I did so terribly at Pipe. (laughs) And then I wanted to like go back out and get good waves. And then of course that happened like the first day that I was back surfing Pipe. And uh, it was just such a hard moment for me because I think that it got blown up so largely on social media out of proportion that I just was the center of attention of something such so honest, such an honest mistake. And it was just so crazy being ridiculed for something so common. And um, I don't know, I got off social media that week. I had a lot of support system around me. And um, unfortunately it was during the Vance Triple Crown. And after that, I just got so unmotivated to go back to pipe because I didn't, I didn't want to be the center of attention, you know, like I was like, I don't want to be the person that everyone's talking about in a bad way. Like, obviously I want it to be in a good way. And, and I made a mistake and, and I got ridiculed for it. So I just was like, okay, I'm not going to go back to pipe. It's whatever. Um, I'm just going to work on the other waves. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, nowadays I'm really, I'm fine with it. I've come to conclusion. I normalize it. I talk, about it because I think it's really important that people know that people make mistakes and they shouldn't be ridiculed all over social media for it. And, um, social media is just so crazy. Like I'm so grateful for my mental state and being so, um, okay with negative comments because some people really aren't, you know, and I think that that's something that everyone really has to consider, there's a lot of people that will just sit behind their computer screens and say whatever they want to say, but to be the person um, that everyone's talking about, it's not easy. And I think that's super important for everyone to understand is just everyone is human and we all have emotions and it's just really, it's a cruel world we live in. <laughs> it, it's but, such a valuable thing that you're sharing, uh, this experience, because the age of the internet that we're in, in social media, and the idea when you have an issue with someone dealing with it one-on-one and the difference of like social media sending it to the public for reactions and that bullying that can take place because of that. Um, Tati, believe it or not, I have a lot of trolls out there. <laughs> I get, a, I, you know, my whole career has been about getting a message where you're like, ah, that's not very nice. And how am I going to deal with it? You know, and different versions of that on how you move forward and not let it actually affect your heart, your confidence, who you are, change your plans because you know what you believe in. And, and I want to live and die by my own sword. You know, I don't want anyone else dictating, you know, how I live my life or who I am, you know, so I think for I think for kids out there growing up in this time it's like social media is a big deal and to uh to keep this place positive and loving and healing it's like if you got an issue with someone deal with them directly and and work it out as two human beings with love and forgiveness and and understanding to to open it up to the floodgates to the world it, it can be a very scary place so I'm really proud of you Tati for having this headspace on becoming stronger because of it and uh, setting such a good example uh, for everyone out there that's probably going through the same thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And, uh, and you know, we're all in this together, Joe. <laughs> we got this. <laughs> <laughs> we sure are. Uh, gosh, it's, it's fun to watch you surf. I'm so excited with the crew that we have on tour 
these days. We've got uh, some goofy foot support for you with uh, Bronte McCauley, you know, Caroline Marks. Uh, there's times that, you know, you look at the tours and there's this lack of goofy footers. I always wonder from your perspective is, do you feel it? it's an advantage a lot of times that it's not the super common stance on the top 17 that the judges aren't watching goofy footers every single heat. Do you feel like uh, sometimes there's an advantage or even a disadvantage of being a goofy on tour? Um, I would say for sure an advantage. Um, I think especially because there's a sort of quote unquote, like wave that a regular footer or a goofy footer can put together but I think that um, because you see so many more regular footers on tour, that that quote unquote wave that's being put together is super similar every time. And um, I think that gives us a huge advantage to come and approach the wave in a different way. And for me, um, I know my backside is my strength. So that gives me a lot of confidence. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's like. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, so I really like being a goofy footer on tour. Um, that being said, sometimes I wish we had more laughs on tour <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a true goofy foot. You're always looking for a left at home. Well, we've got some fresh events to look forward to from the Rip Curl Newcastle Cup presented by Corona April 1st, followed by the Rip Curl Narabian Classic presented by Corona, then Boost Mobile Margaret River Pro presented by Corona. You finaled there before. And then a brand new search event, Rip Curl Rottenest Search, presented by Corona. Is there one that you're looking forward to more than the others? Actually, no. Now that you asked that question, no. I'm just looking forward to being in New Jersey like so much that I like can't wait. <laughs> Every Everything sounds so exciting, especially because it's a change, the change of pace. We we usually surf the same waves every single year on tour. And for me to have these new opportunities at new new venues, it's just super exciting. And um, yeah, it gives me a lot of like, it just gives me so much excitement. Like in a fresh perspective, I'm really excited to show different surfing. And hopefully in this case, there'll be more opportunities for lefts and rights and, um, just new, new, new places. is It's really exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> have you surfed at all the venues? I have not surfed at Narrabeen nor Rotnest. Very cool. Are you watching footage? Are you calling people to, to see what it's like? Yeah. Yesterday I was watching the board riders, um, Narrabeen event in 2019 and, um, yeah, it, I was getting frothed. <laughs> mental preparation this is great tati i've had such a fun time hanging out with you i think it's time for your quarantine quiz that we're asking everybody on caught inside how many boards did you bring with you to australia 19 19 that's a great number <laughs> were, were yeah, these all checked in on the on the charter flight yes they were i felt so like I feel like a princess saying that, honestly, because, yeah, it's a lot of boards for a girl, I guess. <laughs> There's no, just a you, lot of good boards. You deserve it. That's great. 19 to choose from because you don't maybe not know what we're up for in the next four events. Well prepared. Yeah. All sharp eyes? All sharp eye. Well done. So before quarantine started, did you reach out to anyone to, for advice? If you did, who were they? What did they say? 
I reached out to my fans on social media just to be like, hey guys, what should I do during quarantine? Um, but besides that, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> just were like, I'm ready for this. Uh, well, we're about getting close to the halfway mark of this quarantine experience. What have you realized uh, three of your must-haves that you've needed for, for this time? Three of my must-haves are, um, look, one, my Ugg slippers. <laughs> fuzzy slippers. <laughs> They're so comfortable and to walk on like cold tile in the morning is like my pet peeve, so I just hate it. Two is my yoga mat because I need to work out and do whatever on my yoga mat. I just can't do it on the cold tile. And then third for me is um, my cell phone. Oh gosh, I don't want to say that, but my cell phone, because then I keep in contact with everyone and I talk to people and stuff. So for sure. You know, very important. My screen time has been through the roof. Oh my God. Yeah. Get those like, updates. It was like up 91%. <laughs> yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> oh man. Um, what are your goals throughout this quarantine? Um, to survive. <laughs> <laughs> to to be mentally stable like I feel like I'm doing really well so far and um my third one is just to not gain weight <laughs> those are fantastic goals I love it and now for your big charter flight question there's been some great ones throughout the last couple episodes uh your WSL charter flight question how heavy was the estimated weight of all the surfboard bags on the WSL charter flight. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll give you a little really insight. Heavy. There was 92 board bags. Uh, that was Carissa Moore's question. How many boards were on there? 522 surfboards counted inside the bags. And what is the total <laughs> weight estimated? I want to say like 2000 kilos, something like that. Wow. Amazing. 2,265 kilograms. Amazing. That's wow. uh, 4,993 pounds. I mean, for a number that big, I say you won. Tati, great job. Thank you. Uh, I'm such not a, that, that so <laughs> Yeah, let's finish with a win on a day like quarantine to win something like that. that that's, a, that's a good day right there. Thanks. That's a pretty, I'm pretty proud of my answer right there. Tati, I can't thank you enough for your time, your heart, your passion. We look forward to your heats every time you suit up to compete. Uh, right now, number three in the world. Best of luck, best, best of waves when we get to Newcastle. Thanks, Joe. And I just wanted to say thanks, WSL, for taking really good care of us during quarantine. It's actually been um, not as bad as I thought. And I want to say I'm sorry if I offended anyone during this check-in. <laughs> oh, we love it. Thanks so much, Tati. Your strength is there. It's huge. We love it. And we can't wait to see you back in the water. Thanks for everybody tuning in to Caught Inside, where we take you through the 14-day quarantine with our championship tour surfers. We're dropping a new episode every other day. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our next guest will be Felipe Toledo. You've got something you want to say to Felipe? Hit me up on Instagram at Joe Trapel. We'll see you then.